We're on our way to show some solidarity with the union. Yo, bro, you work for Amazon? You gonna vote for that union? There just won't be enough jobs to give all Americans a decent livable wage. I want my kids to grow up in a society where they don't have to struggle as hard as we do. That's what we need to fight for. Our middle class is, you know, I don't want to say it's gone, but it erodes every single day. Do you think they're going to build any affordable housing here? Oh, hell no. I don't want to work three jobs, nights, weekends. I want a life. The new documentary, Americond, traces the history of the labor movement as well as the devious political tactics of a select few who have influenced the course of history. But radical inequality leads to radicalization, and this powerful documentary depicts what happens when America hits its tipping point. I spoke to director Sean Claffey about the film, which is now screening at selected locations around the country, including next Tuesday, June 6th, at the AFI Silver in Silver Spring, Maryland. It's being co-sponsored by the D.C. Labor Film Fest, and we have a limited number of free passes available. Email info at laborheritage.org, or you can go to laborheritage.org and click on Calendar. I'm Chris Garlock for Labor Goes to the Movies. The trick in trickle-down economics is getting you to believe that anything which is good for rich people is good for everyone, and anything that is good for everyone else will kill the economy. We're rolling. All right, so why don't we just start by telling us what the film is about? American is about income inequality in America. It's about the vilification of the poor, the income disparity between the classes, and how it's really affecting democracy and making us unstable. We're, we're at this point, this inflection point, that if we continue to go down this path, some very bad, historically, some very bad things are going to happen. Now, as we were chatting about just a minute ago, income inequality in this country is not exactly news, and particularly in D.C. What was it about this issue that made you decide to, there was time to make a film about it? Our team discussed, we talked about this starting back when the 2009-2010, when the crash happened, and they bailed the banks out, and they didn't bail the people out. And also, my, I come from an immigrant family from Ireland who came out of, especially my grandfather came out of abject poverty and uh, was able to ascend into the middle class very rapidly. And a lot of that had to do with labor unions. And then we're just seeing, we were number one, we had the number one middle class in the world, and now we're free falling through 12th place. And the path to the middle class, which used to, if you worked hard, you could make it into the middle class. And that just is being eroded. And we just, we need, we need to tell this tale over and over again until people wake up and listen. You mentioned your grandfather. This is definitely a personal story for you. Can you spin that out a little bit? Tell us a little bit more about your grandfather and how he came to this country. Sure. My, my grandfather grew up in a subsistence farm in Ireland. His father died when he was quite young, I think six or seven years old. And if the farmer dies in a subsistence farm, the generally the the family starves. His aunts kept them alive, but he, he said he didn't have a pair of shoes until he came, until the community chipped in, bought him a suit and shoes, and he came to the United States. I mean, really third world, dirt floor, thatched roof, and he was able to come here 
and he got some servant kind of jobs. And then eventually he got into Brooklyn Union Gas in, in, in New York and was able to, I uh, mean, you know, went to many strikes and was able to ascend into the middle class, buy a house, put my, my mother and her brother through college. And in one generation from working very hard, was able to come into the solidly into the middle class. So that's a story that, that is being repeated today, but very different, a very different approach. We're, we're once again seeing more build the wall and targeting of immigrants. And I watch a lot of documentaries and a lot of them, frankly, are pretty wonkish. And I know here in D.C., we love our policy, but your film really tells the stories through some through people. Can you talk about that? Yeah. When I came on to direct the film, that was the one thing. If it's not an emotionally compelling story, if we can identify with people, no one cares. You could t- you can tell all the stats you want. You could say $50 trillion dollars was taken from the middle class and working class into the 1%. But until you see the effects of that on a human being, on children, on a, on single moms, families, it just, you can't even comprehend $50 trillion, you know, or that 70% of all people in who are on food or government assistance work full time, at least 40 hours a week, and some of them many more. And then you see the people and you start to understand that they're struggling and they're working hard and they're not making it and it's unsustainable. Sean, I, for quite a number of years, I used to volunteer at a soup kitchen downtown. And the the thing that really surprised me, this was a breakfast program, was that they were homeless, but they had jobs. And I didn't realize that. Yeah. So what people don't realize is that 40% of all homeless people work full time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 70% have worked in the last six months, right? Most of us have been through financial stress in our lives. It really does affect you emotionally. If if you aren't making it, don't have rent, mortgage, food for your kids, it really takes a toll. And then it just creates this spiral. And you have to also figure that, so say out of that 70%, the 30% left over, some are mentally ill, PTSD. Sure. We vilify these people and we're just not helping them is what the reality is. And that brings me to something very timely I want to talk about, the uh, the negotiations over the debt ceiling that are it's wending its way through Congress, even as we speak. But one of the things that stood out to me, particularly thinking about your film, is that the key Republican demands were no taxes on the rich and let's see what we can squeeze out of the poor. And first of all, just looking at that, it just seemed ridiculous, right, as a way to balance the budget when there's much bigger ways you could do that. But then looking at your film, that's why when we were talking before before we got, began rolling, your film seems very timely. These issues are ongoing. Can you? I'd love to get your sort of reaction to this, once again, attacking the poor. I mean, you know, if Jeff Bezos has to pay an extra one or 2%, he's not going to wind up at the soup kitchen, I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah, so the vilification of the poor is been going on for quite some time. The the welfare mom, This the reality is we have one in four children are born into poverty right now today now i think the poverty line is way too low because that's the same 
poverty line that's been used for decades, 60 years or something. And there's all these added expenses now. You have to have a phone. There's all these extra things that you have to be able to work and whatnot. So one out of four, it's probably one out of three children are actually under the poverty line. And to just take away their school lunches or their school breakfasts and to really vilify these people. And then, and the worst is to get like the lower middle class or working class to think that those people are less than, right? Because, right, the right has to get all of these people to vote against their own economic interests. So you need the other. So the other could be the homeless person. It could be the welfare clean. It could be the Southern border. It could be Jewish people. We're seeing all this resurgence, right? And this really tracks historically as in, income inequality goes up, the invention of the other rises. And then there's like three things that happen. You have a police state, authoritarian dictatorship, or a revolution. My God, are we willing to go down that path to just for some short-term profits? So some CEO managers that never even founded the company get their $30 million check at the end of the year? Chris Smalls is one of the heroes of your film. I'd love for you to talk about his story a little bit, but also just, you know, hanging out with him, filming him. I've met him and he, to call him charismatic, I think is probably an understatement, right? Yeah, no, he is a great guy and he gives us the hope in the story, right? It's him and his little crew who go up against Bezos. They're like 10 people and they have two chairs and a tent and they, and they win that. So that, that gives me a lot of hope. That change is possible. We can't get cynical. We can't say this is the way it's going to be forever. We have to stand up. But a little more about Chris. He, people, they underestimated him. He was a chess champion in high school. He was, he was a musician. So he's very charismatic. And he is tenacious. I don't know anyone that works harder than him. He works seven days a week. They would be at three shifts. He'd snowstorms, rain, he'd get arrested. I would never bet against him. And I consider him a good friend. I met him before, you know, just at the beginning of the groundswell. He's a major player in the new labor union movement. The film does a beautiful job. And he's very familiar to us in the labor movement, but you did a really just great job of just embedding with him and getting some amazing footage. And he's open in a way that honestly most union leaders would not be. Most union leaders would not let you in the door, much less talk talk as frankly as he does. And he's it's not a typical victory story, right? I mean, if a union did let you in, you would only get to tell the good stuff, right? Chris has his doubts and you show all that. It's really quite an amazing. Yeah. When you're open and vulnerable, you become a human. And once you <laughs> right? Because we're all we all make mistakes. We all struggle. We we all if you don't show that side, then you're not perceived as a real person. And I think we went to a lot of unions with Chris. It's, we didn't really show it in the film. And they just blew us off. And it was very, it was sad to see that the traditional unions are, they're not, I think it's starting to change, but they weren't three years ago. They weren't really supportive of this new union movement that's happening at Starbucks and at the hospitals and at the universities and they're shrinking 
the traditional unions. And if they don't support these new unions, I don't know. I, I don't understand why they're not getting their stories out there. And historically, what happens is that the workers will organize, the workers will fight back. And Chris is a good example of that. That's definitely not a traditional union, but they went ahead and organized anyway. I want to wrap up, Sean, with talking about the power of film, um, which is something we talk about a lot on Labor Goes to the Movies. And you're a filmmaker. You've been a filmmaker for a long time. I think when you engage with these kinds of fundamental issues, I guess what I wonder is... How can a film like yours uh, affect the debate, the discussion, what's happening? Because it sounds to me like you're pretty worried about the direction the country is going in. Yeah, but I also have hope and I won't give up. Cynicism is our enemy. Uh, once you get people to see this film, they can't unsee it. And you really start to think. And it, I, we've showed it to conservative audiences as well. And they, they're like, whoa wait, what? <laughs> because they're being fed this narrative. And unfortunately, even with the left media, it, it, you're not getting, these stories aren't getting, are hardly getting out there. It's really corporate media. There's eight basic you know, media companies and whatever ratings work and what, what don't. But yeah, getting it out there, getting an emotional, compelling story. And you see what, what actually the costs are, not just numbers, but what, you know, the cloth on families are, on children are, it really makes you think and makes you want to change. Sean, this is really excited about the film. Appreciate you making it. And I look forward to seeing you here in D.C. next week. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. A union agitator. If they're not going to take care of their employees, somebody has to. They don't invest in us. They don't show us the resources. It's just not sustainable. The, the system is going to collapse. We gotta take care of ourselves. We can't rely on the government, and we damn sure can't rely on the one percent class. This is union busting one on one. They're gonna spend millions of dollars just to stop it. The voting wrapping up now. Employees are waiting on results. If successful, it could spark a labor movement across the country. Look at everyone out here suffering. What are you doing for us? Our job as Americans is to fight to save this country. We need bold actions, organizing. We can't allow ourselves to be divided. It's really time to rise and fight. I need all of y'all. Are you going to get in the streets and do something? You can handle the responsibility of being a leader. Say it with your chest. <laughs> The new documentary film, Americon, is now screening at selected locations around the country, including next Tuesday, June 6th, at the AFI Silver in Silver Spring, Maryland. It's being co-sponsored by the D.C. Labor Film Fest, and we have a limited number of free passes available. Email info at laborheritage.org or go to laborheritage.org and click on Calendar. I'm Chris Garlock for Labor Goes to the Movies.